Uh, let's uh, take our Bibles, if you would. Oh, if, I invite you to open with me to the book of Exodus, and we're going to be in the 28th chapter. So Exodus and uh, chapter uh, 28. We have uh, been moving here through uh, the garments of the priest, and we have looked uh, specifically at all of the, the details of the garments that are mentioned at the beginning of uh, chapter 28. Uh, we have considered as well the ephod and the girdle, and then we've considered the breastplate. But there's something that is uh, found uh, with the breastplate, all right? And so we're going to look at one verse this evening, uh, Exodus chapter 28 and verse 30. And the Word of God says, And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. And so I would like to bring your attention here to uh, two strange words we find, uh, maybe not familiar to us, but we find in verse 30, the Urim, and the Thummim. What are those things? The Urim and the Thummim. Uh, we're going to, um, I just turned the projector on so the uh, picture there of uh, the high priest garment will be uh, displayed here in just a moment. But I'd like to preach this evening on uh, the Urim and the Thummim. What are those things? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. Uh, as we look at those uh, specific things that are mentioned here in this verse. Uh, Lord, help us to see once again Jesus Christ, uh, how those things speak of our uh, Lord and Savior. Uh, Lord, we uh, know that as we look at the priestly garments, as we look at the tabernacle, as we would look later at the service of the priest, uh, Lord, help us to see in all of those things the, the great message of redemption. Uh, the significance of those things for our lives and that we might uh, be more amazed than we've been in the past as towards your goodness and how you've revealed yourself to us in such specific uh, ways. So give us understanding this evening. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we've looked here at the uh, priest of, uh, of the, or the garments of the priest here, this is included, and I read it last week because uh, we read from verse 15 down to verse 30 about the breastplate of judgment. And so we were introduced to the breastplate of judgment, and we looked about on the details of the breastplate of the judgment. If you remember, uh, the ephod, the ephod is kind of, um, would sit, you would have to put it over the shoulders of the priest, there is a front portion to the ephod and a back portion to the ephod. And the girdle uh, right here, would you would wrap around yourself. Uh, that goes in conjunction if we were talking about uh, the whole armor of God. We talked about putting on uh, the girdle of truth. And so the idea here is it's uh, encompassing about. And so the ephod and the girdle go together. And then uh, as we look at the details here attached to the girdle, by a gold chain, wreath of wreath and work, you have right here the square piece at the center is the breastplate. 
And we mention here that on this breastplate, uh, by the way, the pattern on the breastplate, we think the whole thing is gold. No, no. The, the breastplate itself is made of fine twine linen, of blue, of scar. So it kind of blends in to the ephod. But on the breastplate, you would have those settings of gold, and you have the 12 stones, which are representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, in this perfectly square breastplate. But we learn here in verse 30 that there's something else that is part here of this breastplate. Can anybody see that light? Is it pointless for me to point that light? Okay, all right, so you can see the, the, its little dot there. But there's something else that we learn that is to be included with this breastplate, and that is the Urim and the Thummim. And so now you may have already done a study on the Urim and the Thummim, and you say, well, I already know what it is. And so maybe I will give you information. Maybe it won't be as much as you've learned from that. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, let's learn again, not just the details about the Urim and the Thummim, but how they point us to Jesus Christ. That's where we need to arrive at here in this study. So I would like to give us some, uh, just a few headings for both uh, the Urim and the Thummim as we consider those things. I'm going to, first of all, talk about uh, the meaning of those words. What do those words mean, Urim and Thummim? Uh, and then we're going to consider the position of the Urim and the Thummim with regards to the breastplate. And then we're going to consider the purpose. What was the purpose of the Urim and the Thummim? And finally, we're going to consider the significance. In other words, how does the Urim and the Thummim point us to Jesus Christ? And as we've seen so far, I hope you've got uh, at least a little bit of information that everything in the tabernacle that we've seen so far, from the Ark of the Covenant to the Mercy to the Table of Shubra to the Candlestick, uh, to uh, the veil, uh, to the uh, tabernacle itself, uh, to all of the layers, and to all the boards that erected the tabernacle, to the brazen altar, to uh, even uh, the, um, uh, the, the fence around. Everything points us to Jesus Christ. And as now we look at the priest, uh, we know that the priest himself and the garment of the priest also point us to Jesus Christ and all of the elements that are part of that. And so we're going to consider this evening uh, this Urim and Thummim. First of all, let's consider the meaning of the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, what do the words Urim and Thummim mean? Well, uh, Urim means this, lights. That's what the word means. It is the plural form of the Hebrew word for light. And so if you look at the Hebrew word for light, Urim would be the plural, for, plural form of that word. If you would look at uh, the references, for example, in Isaiah 31.9, Isaiah 44.16, 47.14, and 50.11, that singular word is translated fire. Uh, and, and so the idea here of the Urim, if we think about the word itself, the word means light, or lights, plural. Thummim is also a plural word. Uh, and the word Thummim means perfections. And it stood as an emblem of complete truth. Complete truth. Now, we presume, we presume that the Urim and the Thummim are objects. But we cannot be certain about that. We also know that these were not commanded to be made. Uh, it's interesting, as we've looked at the garments so far, 
They are to make the garment. They are to make the ephod. They are to make the breastplate, whether it is the fine twine linen, uh, whether, whether it is all the colors incorporated, whether it is the breastplate. All of that is to be made by those who are gifted in those areas. But if you notice here in our text, uh, the Bible says in verse 30, And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. And so here we know that the Urim and the Thummim are not commanded to be made as other things are made. Moses was simply commanded to put them into the breastplate. So later when, after God gives the instruction about the tabernacle and about the garments of the priest, we actually find the record later of how those things were made and who made them. But there is no record as to how the Urim and the Thummim are made. There's just a record at them being placed into the breastplate. So therefore, that uh, we assume by that that the Urim and the Thummim are objects, maybe stones of some sort, but there is, it is not something that the children of Israel are to make, uh, are to participate in making those things. Um, and so uh, now the, somebody may say, well, what is the Urim and the Thummim? I don't know. I don't know. And, and by the way, we don't need to know everything. We can be reminded of Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so if the Bible doesn't say exactly what those things are, then we don't need to know. And by the way, I think that there is an importance here for us because sometimes if we're not careful, we know how the world goes. If we find certain records, I'm thinking about the place, for example, of Moses and where he was buried. Why do we not know that? Well, it could be that the children of Israel, seeing Moses as their redeemer, would worship Moses at his grave. And that people throughout the centuries later, and so there are certain things that we're not given to know. And, and the whole point of the garment of the priest is to, uh, is to point us to Jesus Christ. So it really doesn't matter what these things are as much as the message that they communicate about Jesus Christ. And so if God doesn't say exactly what they are, although the word means lights, uh, fire, let me just say, it's the plural word, uh, it's the plural form of the word light and fire. Uh, they're not putting fire inside the breastplate, I can tell you that. But it's representative of that, right? That's what it communicates, lights and thummim perfections. That's what the words mean. Now, again, it is not important what these objects are or if they are objects at all. Uh, what matters is what these things point us to. So that is uh, the, the, the meaning of the Urim and the Thummim. But let's consider secondly the position of the Urim and the Thummim. Where was the Urim and the Thummim with regard to the priestly garment? Notice verse 30 tells us, And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. Well, there you have it. Uh, and so this tells us this. Now, we haven't seen that so far, but it tells us that the breastplate right here, evidently, maybe on the top-hand side, a pouch was made or an entrance. So you could place inside the breastplate the Urim and the Thummim. The words that the Bible uses is to put in. 
So it would be inside, residing inside. And so again, it, the, the breastplate itself, right, uh, is made of fine twine linen. It is adorned with the colors blue and scarlet and purple and overlaid with strips of gold. That fits in with the ephod, blends in. But evidently somewhere inside of that you could insert the Urim and the Thummim inside the breastplate. So that is the place or the position of the Urim and the Thummim. We read that also later in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 8, where the Bible says, And he put the breastplate upon him. Also he put in the breastplate the Urim and the Thummim. So we have that repetition. He put inside of it, inside of it. So that's the position of the Urim and the Thummim. Now, these resided inside the breastplate. It is evident, therefore, that the breastplate was made with some type of pouch, but the purpose uh, for the purpose of placing the Urim and the Thummim. This also means this, that the Urim and the Thummim were concealed from view. You would not see them. What, what you see on the breastplate was what? You see the gold and the 12 stones representing with the 12 names of the 12 tribes of Israel engraven upon those stones. That's what you would see. You would not see the Urim and the Thummim. These are completely concealed from view. You would not see them. Now, this is going to be important for how that points us to Jesus Christ in just a moment. And so they were hidden. So that's their position. Let's consider now their purpose. And here is where we get some more information with regards to the details as to what were these things used for? The Urim and the Thummim. Now, it seems that the Urim and the Thummim, although we don't know exactly what those things are, that the mind of the Lord was revealed by them. Now, let's look through a few scriptures, and I'm going to give you some examples to see if we can get an idea as to what those things were used for. Turn with me to the book of Numbers, Numbers in chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27, <clears throat> and uh, let's begin reading in verse 18. So Numbers chapter 27, and notice with me verse 18. And the word of God says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom the spirit is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eliezer the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of their thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient." And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of what? Urim before the Lord. Notice that. After the judgment of Urim before the Lord. He's going to ask, the priest is going to ask counsel of God after the judgment of the Urim. At his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So it seems here that when we think about the Urim, that the mind of the Lord was revealed, and the Urim was used for that purpose, to reveal the counsel and the mind of the Lord. 
We have another indication. Turn with me a little later to the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 28. 1 Samuel in chapter 28. Notice with me verse 3, 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Here is what we learn here from those verses. When men wanted to inquire of the Lord they would often go to the high priest and receive an answer by Urim. And according to our text here we just read, the Lord answered him not, answered Saul not, and he says, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. So these were the most common ways in which the Lord revealed himself to his people in the Old Testament. One of those ways was in dreams, and we have many references. We could see that. How God, for example, to Jacob and to Joseph, how he revealed himself in dreams. Another mode that God revealed himself was by prophets, that God uh, put his word in the mouth of the prophets, and the prophets would go to the people and they would prophesy. And so God spoke to the people, not just by dreams, but also by his prophets. But there's another way, specifically when the tabernacle was instituted and the high priest was installed that people would go to the high priest and ask counsel of the high priest, what is God's will concerning this? And so it was, so here we have those, all of those included. The Lord did not answer Saul, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. So one of the modes was directly by God in dream, or by the man of God who was a prophet, or by the high priest who employed the Urim to discern the will of God. You say, well, how did that work? I, I don't know. I just know that's what they did. That's what the Bible says. Uh, there's another, go with me in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, just a few pages over to your right. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now here, uh, you remember David had, um, had been disobedient to the Lord. He goes back in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, he goes back to um, the, the, the city the Amalekites, remember, had taken captive their wives and children and so forth. And, and so uh, the situation, by the way, uh, David's men were upset by the situation, so they were about to stone him. Uh, David learns to encourage himself in the Lord. But notice we read after this, uh, notice verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said unto Abiathar the priest... Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. Oh, well, there it is. Now, by the way, when you read about the ephod, what do we know in Exodus chapter 28 is connected to the breastplate and cannot, or is connected to the ephod and cannot be disconnected? The breastplate, correct? 
It was not to be rent. What is inside the breastplate? The Urim and the Thummim. So when he says bring the ephod, what's with the ephod? The breastplate. What's in the breastplate? The Urim and the Thummim. And so here when he asked the priest, he asked the priest to bring the ephod. What does David want? He wants counsel from God. He wants to know God's direction here. And so the Bible says, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at who? The Lord. Not Abiathar. He wanted to know the mind of God, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him. Who? God did. Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now, some people say, well, how does that work practically? What is the Urim? It doesn't matter, uh, really. We don't need to know those details. What we need to know here is the idea that the Urim is how the people of God went to the priest to get the counsel of God. What is God's will in this matter? And here David wanted to, had two questions. Should I pursue? And will I overtake them? And the answer was pursue. And so that was the message from God. And David, notice, had this understanding when he went to the priest. He says, bring the ephod. Because within the ephod, the breastplate is inseparable from the ephod. And inside the breastplate is the Urim. And that is how God reveals himself to his people. Um, let me, let's look at another reference. So, by the way, this is, uh, we could say pretty early on. You have Exodus, certainly, and then uh, David, uh, the man after God's own heart. But uh, later, so after Solomon, the, the kingdom was uh, rent in twain. You have the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was taken captive by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was taken captive by the Babylonians. There are seven years of captivity. They come back under the leadership of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Well, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, you find the idea here of the Urim and the Thummim and the Ephod mentioned. Turn with me to the book of Ezra in chapter 2. So this is much later, by the way, after the captivity, uh, when they're rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls and so forth. Notice with me in the book of Ezra and uh, chapter 2. Ezra chapter 2. <clears throat> and notice with me, verse, verse. let's begin reading in verse 61. Ezra chapter 2, verse 61. And the children of the priests, the children of Habiah, the children of Koz, the children of Barzali, which took a wife of the daughters of Barzali, the Gileadite, and was called after their name. These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, uh, but they were not found. Now, now again, the trouble there with the genealogy is because they were taken captive, and so they're having trouble tracing. In other words, well, who's supposed to go to what portion and how can we trace that? You know, so the difficulties there after the captivity. Uh, there was a remnant that was a, a small portion of, of uh, children of Israel who were there in the land, but many of them had been taken in captivity, and so there was trouble with all of that. So they need direction here. That They need some wisdom. Therefore were they, as polluted, put from the priesthood. And the Tershatha said unto them, that they should not eat of the most holy things till there stood up a priest with what? Urim and with Thummim. So what we learn here is that the people were commanded here not to eat until the priest stood up in their midst and revealed unto them the mind of God concerning this confusion. 
Let's look at one more reference. Again, so the idea here is that the Urim and the Thummim was employed to discern the mind of the Lord, how God wanted to reveal himself in specific ways for specific direction. Let me, let's look at one more reference in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 33. Deuteronomy in chapter 33. So they're about to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 33. So they talk about the, um, the tribes. Notice verse 6. Let Reuben live and not die and let not his men be few. And this is the blessing of Judah. And he said, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah and bring him unto his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him and be thou an help to him from his enemies. He's talking about all the tribes and he's basically given his final blessing before they go in. Now, Moses is not going to go in. But he gives this final blessing. Now he gets to the tribe of Levi. Now, again, they're not in the promised land yet. They're about to go in. The tabernacle has already been instituted. The priest, the tribe of Levi, is already carrying out the duties of the priest and so forth. And notice what he says about Levi. Here's the blessing for Levi, verse 8. And of Levi, he said, Let thy Thummim and thy Urim be with thy Holy One, whom thou didst prove at Mesa, and with whom thou didst strive at the waters of Meribah, who said unto his father and to his mother, I have not seen him, neither did he acknowledge his brethren, nor knew his own children, for they have observed thy word and kept my covenant. They shall teach Jacob thy what? Whose judgments? God's judgments. But notice he began by what? Let thy Urim and thy Thummim be with thy Holy One. Who's thy Holy One? That's Levi, the tribe of Levi. And what they're going to do is they're going to teach Jacob the judgments of God. Uh, remember, the, it was the breastplate of judgment. Inside the breastplate of judgment is the Urim and the Thummim. And Israel, thy law, they shall put incense before thee and hold uh, burnt sacrifices upon thine altar. Bless, Lord, his substance, and accept the work of his hands. Smite through the loins of them that rise against him and of them that hate him, that they rise not again. And so the tribe of Levi was, yes, selected to do the service of the tabernacle, the only tribe in all of Israel. But they were also to communicate the judgments and the law of God to the people, and they were to do this by Urim and Thummim. So here we have specifically the Urim and the Thummim attached to the tribe of Levi. And this is the blessing that they would receive. They would communicate the counsel of God to the people of God. That's the information we can gather. Okay? Uh, the meaning of the words... Again, so let's try to bring all this together. Uh, Urim means what? Lights. Thummim means what? Perfections. Well, you are good students. I almost forgot. Uh, and when we think about its position, where was it located? Inside what? The breastplate, right? So you have the ephod. The breastplate is connected to the ephod. And God says, don't separate them. Um, and inside that is the Urim and the Thummim. And what is the purpose? It is to reveal and to know the counsel of God and the direction of the Lord in specific matters. And we find it uh, with regards to the judgments of God generally, but then we find specific times when uh, a man wanted direction from God. Saul once asked the priest, and he received no word by Urim. 
David, when he sought for word by Urim, he got word from God for direction. So with all of those things in mind, remember that the Urim and the Thummim is concealed from view. Yet, it is how God reveals himself to the people. So it brings us to really the last point, and that is, what is the significance of the Urim and the Thummim? What do they represent specifically concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let's spend some time in the New Testament, if you would, to see if we can get an idea as to how Jesus Christ is pictured by the Urim and the Thummim. By the way, Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus is the fullness of the perfection of God. All of it all around. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. Let's look at some New Testament scripture to see if we can have the indications of those things. So, John chapter 1. We know he begins by saying, John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here's what we know about Jesus Christ. The reason why he is called the Word is because he is the fullness of, of God's revelation to man. In other words, when we think about the Old Testament, we, we understand some things about the Messiah and when He's going to come and what He's going to do, but we don't understand those things fully. And some things are in shadows and they're veiled and we don't have a full understanding, but when we get to the New Testament in Christ, we have the fullness of God's revelation. That's why He is called the Word. And the Bible says in verse 2, the same, uh, the Word was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the what of men? The light. See, Jesus is the light. And so Jesus is Himself the light. He says in verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And I'm thinking here, you remember when David was there and he, he, his family was taken away and all of his men, their wives and their children were taken away, their sons and their daughters, and David doesn't know what to do. He's stuck. The people are about to stone him and he's in darkness. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know if she should pursue. He doesn't know whether their children and their wives are dead or not. And so he says, are we going to pursue and are we going to overtake him? He was in darkness. But then the light of the Urim came in and he received direction from God. And here in the same way, the whole world lies in darkness, doesn't comprehend the light, but here he is, the Lord himself, reveals himself as the light of the world, the light that shines in darkness. He goes on to say in verse 9, that was the true light that which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so in the same sense here, just like the Urim and the Thummim were concealed from view, hidden from view, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was hidden from view. But then when he comes on the scene, there is the Urim and the Thummim coming out of the breastplate and revealing himself to man, revealing the fullness of God. We read even later in John chapter, chapter 8, a few chapters later, in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus said, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, 
I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so that's what Jesus is. He is the light of life. Now, when we think about Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus Christ himself, uh, let's think about in the context of the Urim and the Thummim, with regards to the priestly garment. The way that God chose through the priest to reveal to his people his counsel and his will was by Urim and Thummim. It was not in view, it was concealed. And so the priest was chosen to be that revealer of the counsels of God and the will of God. The Urim means lights. And what we understand is that Jesus Christ himself is the light that God declared. Jesus Christ himself is the light that God declared. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, God would bring light through a message, through his counsel, through his judgments to the people of Israel by Urim. And in the New Testament, it points us to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ himself is the light of God declared. Uh, let's look at, let me take you through a progression, if you would. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is what? Light. That's who God is. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So keep that in mind. God is light. In this sense, God wants to reveal himself to man. But how has he done so? How has God revealed himself to man? And we might hear in our minds think, well, we understand with the tabernacle and the priest that God reveals himself to man by Urim and Thummim. Right? God is light and he didn't want to Although the Urim and Thummim was concealed, sometimes it would come out and he would reveal himself to man. Turn with me to John, the Gospel of John in chapter 14. John. So we have in mind here, God is light. Notice John 14. And notice verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Keep this in mind. God is light. Philip says, show us the Father. We want to see the light. We want to see the Father. And Jesus said to Philip, Have I not been so long? Hast thou not seen me? Who? The Father. The full expression of the light of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. God has revealed Himself in His fullness, in His light, and has shined His light upon man in the person of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to one more scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians in, uh, chapter 4. <clears throat> Notice verse 3 and 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, 
in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Ah, see here we find that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, God desires to reveal Himself and to give light unto man. He did so in different ways through the priest, the tabernacle. But in the New Testament, we understand that God making Himself known as the light to man, is the chief expression of that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the full expression of the light of God to man. And so Jesus Christ Himself is the light of God declared. God has made Himself known. He has made His will known for man, that all men through Him, Christ, might be saved. And so that light has shined. But what about His perfections? You see, not only is Jesus Christ Himself the light of God declared, but Jesus Christ Himself is the perfections of God displayed. If you turn back with me to the Gospel of John, let's look at a few references here. In John, the Gospel of John in chapter 8. John chapter 8, and notice with me in verse 29. Now, here they're having a conversation about um, the Father, and notice what Jesus said. John 8, 29, And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. Uh, you remember He uh, said even in verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself, but as My Father hath taught Me, I speak these things. And so Jesus Christ Himself is the perfection of God displayed before man. In uh, the, gospel, uh, the, the, the epistle of Romans, in uh, Romans chapter 9. If you turn there again, I, I know I'm getting your fingers moving here this evening. But we're a Bible-believing church. Amen? And so you've got to make sure what I'm preaching is the Bible. Uh, Romans 9, notice verse 5. Well, he says... Who's, he's talking about the children of Israel, but he says, Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. Notice, through the children of Israel, we see that they uh, pertains to the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the tabernacle and the promises uh, and the fathers. But the most important thing about all of this is concerning the flesh, Christ came. And here's who Christ is. Christ, who is over all, He is God blessed forever. Amen. So Christ is not just the light, as in the Urim, but He is also the perfection of God in the Thummim, and He has displayed Himself as being overall God blessed forever. Amen. But there's yet one more thing. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, or one more scripture. 1 Peter 
chapter 1 and verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. There you go. You see that? Jesus Christ is the perfection of God displayed. He was without blemish and without spot. You see, Jesus Christ is the full is the full expression of God to mankind. That's who Jesus Christ is. Now, unless you say, I don't know how you can make that statement, let me show you some verses. So two of them. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Two more scriptures and we're done this evening. John chapter 15. And notice with me, verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Notice those words. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Everything you need to know from God, you've heard it from me. That's what he told his disciples. But I like yet more how uh, the book of uh, Hebrews introduces us to Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, uh, so we might think here, by the way, when he says God in the past and sundry times and in diverse manners, one of those manners was the Urim and the Thummim, the high priest. That was one of the ways. Remember, he had said uh, by dream, by Urim, by prophets. So there were many ways in which God revealed himself. And, and it, it's quite interesting, again, they didn't have the fullness of the scriptures as we have it today, but yet God revealed himself in those peculiar ways uh, uh, to man. And, and so here, it was at different times. It was in different manners, not always the same. And he spake in time unto the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, God has spoken unto us by his Son. The greatest revelation of God is in Christ, in the fact that he is the light of God, but the perfection of God in fullness, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, here's Christ, who, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, there is those words, Jesus Christ is the brightness of the glory of God, he is the light of God to man, but he is also at the very same time, the express image of his person, in all of his perfections and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high I was thinking when I was studying the Urim and Thummim the first thing I did is where is it mentioned I did this word search in the New Testament Urim and Thummim and I couldn't find it so I think it's only mentioned nine times in the Old Testament I think it's either seven or nine times not many times 
But here's the Urim and the Thummim in verse 3. Right? Not explicitly mentioned, but here they are. Fulfilled in Christ, who being the brightness of His glory, the Urim, and the express image of His person, the Thummim. And so those things point us to Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me that remember, these in the priest and the priest garments were concealed. They would come in and out at times when revelation was needed, but they will go back in. But when Christ comes, the Urim and the Thummim comes out and never goes back in again. It is fully revealed and it stays revealed as the fullness of the light of God and the fullness of the perfections of God. And the whole idea here is we need no other word from God. There is no need for an extra revelation. There is no need for another Messiah. There is no need for more light. There is no need for more perfection. All of that is found and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. It is interesting to me that we find here again an emphasis, as in the tabernacle in the priest, that God simply wants to reveal Himself to man. But ultimately He has done that chiefly in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is to be emphasized above all others. There is no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. People may say, well, you at First Aid Baptist Church, you make a little too much of Jesus Christ. You cannot, you cannot make too much of Jesus Christ. The danger is always and only making too less of Jesus Christ. And so, I think that there is also a practical application, and that is that Christ Himself, as He is the full revelation, as the light of God declared, and as the perfection of God displayed, that in the Urim, He wants to give light to us. He wants to direct our lives now. And we can come to Him. The children of Israel would have to ask the priest, Right? David, when he was, hey, get Abiathar, get him, and bring the ephod. I need to hear from God. He had to do the whole ordeal and get the ephod, the breastplate, make sure the Urim and Thummim is there, and all, all those things. But now we don't even have to go through all those things. We could go straight to our high priest, who's not only is the Thummim and the Urim, but he is also the one who wants to reveal himself to us. And we don't need to go through a whole process or through a whole other person. We can come directly to him and say, God, I need direction. I need light. I need direction from God. And he is willing to give it to us. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. And he does so always, him and the Spirit, according to the will of God. And it is always a wonderful thing. Uh, what I've been impressed through this study thus far is how most of those things is just God wanting to communicate and make Himself known to man. And so let's, let's hear His voice. Let's desire to hear Him speak to us as He desires so often.